Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the history of your word, for the way that you have preserved it. We thank you that it speaks with authority. It is unlike any other book. Lord, it lives. These words live through your spirit as we study and and read. You make them come alive, not only to renew our minds and, and change the way we think, but affect our heart, change what we love and how we live and and uh lord you can change far more than that you can you could change even this morning some who would have come with a a path that was running all the way to hell and you can change that to bring them to life here in this place right now as i preach and so we ask that you would in your grace move in all the thousands of ways that you're going to accomplish your good pleasure this morning in our midst Build us, strengthen us, make us live, and enlarge in our hearts, Lord, for you and for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled the sermon, There is a Redeemer. I wanted to capitalize, is. There is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer. And that's where we're going to be moving through today as we study these verses. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And I just want to begin by looking at these first five verses. I broke the sermon into uh, four sections as we move through here. Start with the plan here, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young, uh, young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, you can kind of enter in and you can feel this exchange. This is, this is Naomi. She's plotting a little bit. She's planning. And uh, she goes to Ruth and she says, listen, uh, Ruth, come here. Come here. You've been working faithfully here for a couple months now. We have our needs supplied. We have barley. We have wheat, right? It's, we're, we finished the harvest. And now it's time for threshing and winnowing and and, and the, the gathering in of the harvest. And there's so, something that hasn't happened yet, right? Still some things that need to take place. It, it's kind of like Naomi's like, uh, hey, no ring yet? What's going on here? What's the deal? What's the hang-up? And if that's not going to happen on its own, maybe we should do a little something here. Come up with a plan. This is so cool. I, I love how Naomi is, 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 she's in a sense playing offense. She's saying, listen, let's, let's go and, and, and do something here. Now, we've got to remember, culturally speaking, this is a different day. There was uh, a very common practice of arranged marriages in this time. And so this is not out of bounds for Naomi to be playing matchmaker here. Uh, you have a little bit of that... Uh, uh, fiddler on the roof thing happening, right? If he's kind of arranging some things, let's come up with a plan. And, and it just so happens that Boaz, who is our relative, is going to be uh, winnowing tonight at the threshing floor. Hmm. Now, we've got to do some cultural work because most of us don't have a threshing floor in our backyard where we winnow our grain, okay? So come with me. Here's an artist's rendering of of what this might have looked like, typically at the high places where the wind is going to be strong. 
and they would wait for the appropriate weather for this. You had to have a certain amount of wind to blow away the chaff. There was a pretty involved process. The threshing floor would have looked like this, where you would put the barley and the wheat down. This is a, a, a threshing uh, sledge. Yeah, basically, it's where you wanted to be as a kid, okay? If you're, if you're a kid, you're like, can I ride it? Because you just hang out, and the, the oxen stomp on it and then the the sled comes and it rolls it and crushes it and uh, then you have these men who come through with these pitchforks and they throw it up in the air again to you're trying to release the the grains out of there now the winnowing work was once the bulk of the threshing was done then you had to take these little things down here and you would take it on a windy evening and and throw it in the air when the wind would would move the chaff down and all the grains would fall. And what you would be left with then is a nice pile of barley or of wheat. And and, uh, that's what Boaz is going to be doing. One interesting thing to note is that Boaz himself is involved in this practice. He's down there. I think this is part of his joy. This is a full harvest. And they're celebrating God's answer to their prayer and his provision for them. And so... He's down there on the threshing floor doing his thing. Naomi is plotting. So what is the plan? It's a bold plan. Verse 3, she says to Ruth, Wash therefore and anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet And lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Wow, okay. All of us are like, okay, wouldn't have come up with that one. That's interesting, okay. Is that how you get the ring? I mean, I I don't know. It's a bold plan. They're playing offense here. Get cleaned up, Ruth, and, and take your coat. Now, there's a lot of debate about if this is language... Uh, that would be unrighteous even of Naomi to suggest this kind of thing. Maybe even uh, seductive type of, of behavior here of Ruth. And there are those who think that, that that's in play. I don't think so. I think Ruth has been working hard. And like everyone who works hard, she needs to clean up. And so she goes and she, she bathes. And you anoint yourself with the oils just like you would put on your, you know, your deodorant. You just go down. You don't want to be offensive if you're going to propose, right? Guys, note to self, spray a little axe before you go and propose, okay? Take your coat. Well, why would I take my coat? Well, you're going to be sleeping under the stars tonight. You need to stay warm. Take, take a coat, take a you know, blanket, something pretty heavy uh, so that you won't be cold because the wind is blowing and you're going to be there all night probably. So this is just, just the basics. Think through what's going to happen, what you're, what you're going to be doing, and then be ready for it. And then go to the threshing floor. Uh, the other thing is, is this. Uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, that is extremely a- ambiguous, especially when you consider you have a young woman and a man out in the open under the stars And they're not married. This is awfully close proximity-wise. This is dangerous. This is risky. And they are going to have to behave themselves. 
Otherwise, they're going to make decisions that will very much displease the Lord. Sinful decisions are right there. How is this going to go? This line is, is difficult. He will tell you what to do. Is that a statement of confidence for Naomi? Or is it almost like she's setting a trap? I would like to think on the positive. She's, she's expressing confidence in this. He, this guy is a stand-up dude. He's a man of character and integrity. The question begged for me, so much of this book is about the sovereignty of God, right? I mean, if God is sovereign and Boaz is supposed to be the redeemer for Ruth and to marry her, then it's just going to happen, right? I mean, it, isn't that how it works? You just, God is sovereign, so you just can hang out. And I think we've, we've got to wrestle with this because, yes, God is sovereign, and he shows himself sovereign all through this book. However, there is also a responsibility. And I think Naomi rightly sees this. It's not wrong to act. It's not wrong to move in faith Trusting that God is sovereign and taking on the responsibility that he has given us sovereignly. The same is true for those who are graduating soon and considering colleges. Where, where do I go to college? I want, I want to pursue God's will for my life and, and I have these options and I'm not really sure what to do. Well, God is sovereign. But guess what? You still have to make a choice. It's not easy, is it? So at the end of the day, we can... Trust and believe, yes, that God is sovereign and that he is bigger even than my decisions. He can employ my responsible decision-making to accomplish his good and sovereign purpose in my life. The word I would love to put on your radar when you see the Bible teach both of the sovereignty of God, I would say absolute sovereignty, total sovereignty over all things, and the human responsibility that we carry. The Bible teaches both. If you choose one and throw out the other, you're, you're, you're unbiblical, right? So the word here is concurrence. This is a helpful theological phrase to see how they come together. Scripture teaches both of these realities exist, and they exist in a complementary way. They, they coexist. So much so that in the mind of Paul, there, there's no conflict here they're there and they're glorious and so naomi comes up with this bold plan to play offense let's start an exchange she's not doubting the sovereignty of god she's understanding the responsibility that she has as part of the matchmaking work interesting ruth responds with this once again just the character of ruth what an incredible young lady she is all that you say, I will do. That's risking quite a bit if you're Ruth. I mean, you've got to ask the question, what if he's offended? Just so we're clear, in this day, for a woman to go and propose like this to a man was about as normal as it is in our day. It's just not common. Now, maybe more so here in our day than then, but this was unheard of back then. To propose. What if he is offended? What if he says no? What if I ruin this whole thing? What's going to happen? There's a lot of questions. Let's go to the proposal, verse 6. 
So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Just consider these things a little here. First of all, Boaz has has been at this all day long. This is a, a long day of work. He is a tired man, especially his arms. You just imagine doing this all day long, his back. Right. I mean, laying down is feeling good. Now, laying down on the threshing floor, maybe not so good. But look at where he lays down. He's he's laying down uh, at the end of of a pile of of barley. Now, why would he do that? Well, if you're a landowner and you have worked this whole season to gather up this barley and you've threshed it and you've winnowed it and you've got it in a pile and it's nighttime you going to go home? No way. That is your, the fruit of your whole crop that's right there. So he sleeps to protect that crop. He's there to, to guard it. And it's a celebration. They've had good food, and uh, he had something to drink. Now, th- again, the, it's hard to say, is he, did he pass out drunk? I don't believe so. I think when it says his heart was merry, he's satisfied. He's resting peacefully. The fact that he responds the way he does when awoken in the middle of the night probably means that he wasn't totally soused. Okay, so uh, we can dispel with that, I believe. Tactful timing. I, I remember learning this as a young man. I always had these ideas of things that I wanted to buy. And whenever my birthday came around, you know, my, my sister was like, I don't really know what I want. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can give you 10 things that you want. I know exactly what you want. That was never a problem for me. I always had five or six things that I knew exactly what I wanted. And it was birthday time or Christmas time. I'll tell you, here it is. Well, in between those times, I would save my money. And usually I was just a little short because the thing that I wanted cost a little more than the amount that I had. And so I would go to my mom. And she would say, oh, that's a good idea, Jer. You've been saving? Yeah, I've been saving. How much do you have? Oh, I got 10 bucks. Okay, uh, it costs 15. Okay, what can we do about that, right? I mean, you guys probably have that, you know, got a little thing. Middle child, can I get any help here? She said, well, why don't you ask your dad? So my dad comes home after working all day, okay, comes home garage door i can hear the the garage door going up pulls in his car gets out and i'm in the garage dad dad hey can i have five bucks because i got this thing he hasn't even gotten out of the garage yet and i'm hitting him up for some some money it never worked never worked i remember my mom pulling me aside one time and saying chair you got to think it through a little bit more than that right let your dad come in. Why don't you let him eat dinner, right? Maybe when he's sipping that coffee, then ask, right? Not to manipulate, but to just to be wise. If you want a positive response there, that worked a lot better. Tactful timing. This is, this is wise for Ruth. She's not interrupting his work. She's not making a scene in front of all of his workers. The timing is such that everyone else is gone or asleep, and it's just the two of them. 
His heart is merry. He is satisfied. The work of the day is done. He's guarding the grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet, which uh, if you ever suffer as I do from having cold feet in the middle of the night, you get why Boaz wakes up, okay? The poor guy is sleeping out under the stars. I'm sure he's got blankets and everything. And all of a sudden he's like, man, it's drafty in here. What's going on? My feet are freezing. So he sits up and let's read this. Verse 8, at midnight the man was startled and turned over or sat up and behold, a woman lay at his feet. That language should jump, right? This is This is no small event. This is the biggest surprise Boaz could have had in the middle of the night. What? What? It's shown in verse 9. His first question is, who are you? What's going on here? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. I am Ruth, your servant. Now, at this point, guys, if you're woken in the middle of the night, and cold feet, and you sit up, and, and, and there's a young lady down, down at, at, at the foot of your barley bed there, and she says, I am Ruth. And, and, and you have been very kind to Ruth. It's not hard to discern. Boaz has a special place in his heart for Ruth. He cares for her, big time. He hasn't yet worked up the gumption to to move on that, maybe trying to be, you know, wise and, and careful not to overstep his boundaries. But she says this, and you're, you're, I mean, you're just like, what? What is this? Don't, don't forget this. Naomi said, wait. Don't say any more. Just, just say, I'm Ruth. And, and he will tell you what to do. Well, Ruth is kind of discerning this moment. And Boaz is still a little overwhelmed. His, his eyes are big. You know, the moonlight probably backlighting her hair. And I mean, the, the owl or, I don't know, the music starts. And I haven't seen any cartoons recently, but I'm sure we can make this extremely romantic. And, and there's Ruth. And he's stuck. He's, he's not saying anything. What, what do I do? What, what is this? And she speaks. This is awesome. This is so cool. Listen to what she says. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant. Now this is an echo of words that he used. May the Lord spread his wings over you, for the good that you have done to Naomi, your mother-in-law. And so she takes that language as if to say, I caught that hint. I heard those words from you. And I'm here saying, God can accomplish that prayer through you. Spread your wings now over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is very directly a proposal for marriage. There's nothing confusing about this for Boaz. He knows exactly what she's asking. This is basically asking the question, will you marry me? 
And Boaz is overwhelmed. What an interesting exchange here. Now, she uses this word, for you are a redeemer. I want to just remind us a little bit of what this means. The wings of a redeemer, in this context, in this day, that kinsman redeemer was uh, very much in practice still. So uh, a few things about the, the redeemer and, and their obligations. They were called to buy back any land that had been alienated. Again, this is the closest of kin. So if uh, a husband dies, the brother or the uncle or the cousin or the next of kin beyond that was uh, looked to to provide for, protect, and carry on the name of the deceased man. So buy back any land that was alienated. Purchase the freedom of any indentured servants, specifically family members that had to sell themselves in order to stay alive and, and make a living and, and work in that way as an indentured servant. They were also called to avenge the murder of a kinsman. So if that man died at the hand of another, justice was to be sought by the surviving uh, family member who was then to go and hunt that guy down and bring him to justice. And then as we looked earlier uh, in, in the weeks, leveret marriage was a practice as well. So if a brother died and left a widow, his brother was to then step in and marry the widow so that that woman could have a line that would carry on from her brother or her husband who died. Basically, that would be a, a stand-in substitute for the, the husband that died. So you have all these things operating. However, there is a pretty widespread agreement that Boaz is really under no obligation by any law at this point to do any of these things. If you think about it, Ruth is, is completely disconnected from Naomi in this. It's not Naomi, it's, it's Ruth, a Moabite widow, the son of a widow. And so uh, almost everybody that I studied and read said basically, Boaz has no legal obligation whatsoever to do anything for Ruth. Which shows us then, in fact, that anything he does for her is totally grace. As her redeemer, his movements to bless her are completely of grace. Unmerited, undeserved. She's asking for grace. What will his response be? Verses 10 to 12. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Wow. Proposal received. It landed well. He is blown away. He is amazed by this. You, you would come to me? He's not one of the young men, okay? Boaz is not one of the young guys. He is honored that Ruth would look in his direction and basically say, will you marry me? He knows exactly what she's requesting. And then he blesses her again. The first kindness was her love for Naomi her incredible faithfulness and kindness that she showed to Naomi, who was on her own. And she didn't have to do that, but she chose to. She left her home. She, she left everything familiar and followed Naomi out. 
But this last kindness blows that away even more. He's amazed that you would show me this kindness and connected to it also is Naomi again. He's drawing the conclusions and seeing these these things come together. If they, in fact, get married and have a child, Naomi actually has the opportunity for that name to carry on as well. And he sees this, and it's like he's, he's just blown away. This is exactly what God has put together. What a special thing. He loves the plan. Loves it. The fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Why, why does he point that out in connection to marriage? One of the things I think it's important for Boaz to acknowledge here is that Ruth, in many senses, would be shunned still by a lot of eligible Jewish men. Because who is she? Well, she's a Moabite and a widow, right? I'm not going to marry a Moabite. And he's basically saying, you were a Moabite, but now you are fully converted. Your character, your conversion is clear. It's renowned. There's nothing that would hold me back from marrying you. You are the Lord's. And you have truly displayed that, both in your character and in your countenance and the kindness that you've shown to Naomi. So her reputation is clear. It's not sinful for Boaz to marry this woman. And it's such that the, all the people of the town know that as well. It's an important thing to have in view. However, there's a bit of a problem. This is the part of the plan that Naomi did not anticipate, or Ruth. They did not see this coming. It is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Oh boy. At this, I imagine Ruth would have just, wait, what? What did you say? How did we miss that? One of the things that strikes me, just fascinates me, is how disconnected Naomi is from the who of her family. Uh, She didn't know Boaz was in view until they were interacting and then the, the name Boaz came up and then all of a sudden, she said, well, he's a redeemer. See, that, that kind of hit her after the fact. And this one is what seems to be a, a total shocker. They didn't know that. How's this going to go? What about the plan? If you're Ruth, you share this collective gasp. Let's, let's give this a, a shot, a, a collective church gasp on three. One, two, three. Exactly. It's like that. Under the moonlight. Oh, what do you mean another redeemer? Well, the story goes on. Let's look at verse thing 13, the promise. Boaz says, listen, Ruth, remain tonight in the morning if he will redeem you good. And she's like, no, not good. Not, not good. Excuse me. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then listen to this. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. There's a promise there. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now, is this a, is this a cover up? 
Is this some kind of cover-up? Was there something shady that took place here? Absolutely not. The more you look at these verses, the more you realize that there is something happening in this exchange. Why would he not send her, a Moabite widow, home at, at, after dark, in the moonlight, after midnight, by herself? Safety. He's protecting her, as he has been doing from the very begin, uh, beginning. This is about her safety, not about some sinful interaction that's happening under the moonlight. Safe at the threshing floor. Plus, his feet were cold, right? I mean, how are you going to warm up your feet? You, know, you wait till you get married, and it's so much better. Boy, when Jenny's in Michigan and I'm home alone, it's like the only way is one of those rice bags in the microwave. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. It's brutal. Poor Boaz. So she s- stays the night, and then in the morning, to avoid any uh, appearance of evil or to avoid any rumors, there's nothing that's been happening here that's wrong or sinful. She gets up early in the morning, but enough light to be able to see and safely get home. And then he sends her. Now, purity and purpose. You ask the question, what if? What if? On this night, they said, I have feelings. There's this moment before us, right? There's an opportunity for us to indulge in some interaction, some sinful sexual behavior. Outside of the castle walls of marriage, outside of the vow, against the will of God, we have this opportunity before us. Do you think they didn't think that? Oh, you know it was there. Sin was crouching at the door. But they're not animals. They chose to honor God. You are not a slave to your inclinations. Remind yourself this. You don't just do whatever you feel like. You choose it. Choose it. And you can say, no, I want to please God. I want to honor God. There's a bigger purpose here. Why ruin it all for a moment? It's fleeting and it's gone. They had a greater purpose in view. They had something so much better. Wait for that. Young people, resolve to pursue purity tenaciously. Guard it. Protect it. Don't throw it away. In the light of day, they leave with clean conscience and joy in their heart at what is to come, as opposed to guilt-laden shame and fear. Oh, in our day, this message sings the song of freedom. The character counts in the dark when no one else knows what's happening. But God does. Please Him. Obey Him. Choose and he will bless so he wants to give Naomi a sign let's go to verse 15 here he said uh, to Ruth bring the garment basically the coat that you're wearing and, and hold it out so she held it and he measured six measures of barley and put it on her then she went into the city now just have to point this out six measures of barley is more than the five-gallon bucket she brought home that first day that she gleaned. This is, 
This is a, an incredible display of generosity. It's completely winnowed. I mean, this is wonderful food. Six measures of barley. One commentator suggested 80 pounds of barley. And Ruth is no pushover, right? She's got this coat, and they, they fold it up and tie it, and then he helps her load it up on her back, and she comes in just packing the blessing of the Lord. This is kind of a, a, a signal of what is to come. However, every step she takes, you've got to think in the back of her mind this question, who is this other guy? What is going to happen? Ruth's concerns. Verse 16, she came to her mother-in-law and said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So again, look at the the focus of that blessing. This is an unbelievable pantry-stocking wedding gift from Boaz, saying, I got you. I got the signal. I like it. I'm in. Except for this one thing. Verse 18. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So you have Ruth. You can't help but think about the thoughts just spinning in her mind. But, but Boaz is such a kind and godly man. And you can just sit, she's sitting on the couch telling Naomi, and she's laying there, oh, oh, and who is this other redeemer? And, and what if he decides this? And what if he's not nice? And on and on. You can just hear it. This reminds me of Jenny when I had, been, I had gotten permission from her parents to propose to her. To, that, to ask her to marry me. And, and they knew. We'd been planning for weddings. But poor Jenny, she didn't know. And she was coming out to the Northwest for the first time and going to meet my family. She thought I was going to break up with her. And I'd been working all summer to earn money to buy a ring. And, uh, and her mom told me one time, Jenny would lay on the couch, oh, I don't know. I just don't know if he likes me. I don't know what to do. And, Poor thing. I still feel bad about this all these years later. What's going to happen? Who is this guy? I don't know how this is going to go. And you can hear just the, the, the motherly love, right? Wait, my daughter. Just wait. Wait, my daughter. Don't panic. God is sovereign, right? He is in control of all of these things. We didn't see this coming, but he did. It's going to be okay. It's out of our hands. You stop and ask the question, why does God do things like this? Right? I mean, this story would be epic even without this little wrinkle. But God arranged this other guy to be before Boaz and According to the tradition of the town and the the elders, he could not get around it. He had to go through it. And what are they going to do? This uncertainty was from God. I like to think of it as God putting weight on the weight bar of our faith. He is in control of this. He can clear it out. 
and just open the doors and everything could just happen right away. Or he can say, "Mm, there's a wrinkle in the plan. I want you to wait. I want you to trust. I want you to just not panic and, and, and look to me. Their faith was strengthened as they waited. And that's where chapter 3 ends. And we have to wait till next week to see how it works out. Response this morning, I just want to drive this back to the focal point. Ruth comes to the threshing floor and she, in a total, honest, vulnerable, reality-acknowledging moment, she says, I, I, I need a redeemer. I need redemption. I need something that I cannot provide on my own. And we too must acknowledge that. We must acknowledge that. Redemption is our only hope. We need to be redeemed. We are a sinful people. Rebels at heart. We have offended a righteous and holy God. Our sin has earned us the wages of death. Not just physical death, which is as certain as taxes, but eternal damnation under the righteous wrath of God. That's what we deserve. That's what we've chosen. And apart from something miraculous, that is our destiny. That is our future. It is clear from Scripture. We need redemption. We must be bought out of this death that we've chosen. The good news is there is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son. Think about how God did this. He arranged the marriage. The Father. Before the foundations of the earth, he chose his bride. He chose. He he, he arranged things. And then he sent his son Jesus to go and pay the price. To buy the bride out of death, out of slavery, out of darkness. To buy her by his blood that he shed and the victory of his work Perfect life, atoning death, victorious resurrection. That's Easter. That's what we celebrate. And He's coming again to gather His bride to Himself where they will live happily ever after forever. Every love story begins and ends there. That's why we love Him so much. That's why we long for that Just epic love story because it's written in our hearts. And Jesus is the groom, friends. So I asked the question this morning. Is he your redeemer? Have you looked to him as your only hope in this life and the next? Have you brought all of your offenses and sins and wrongdoings to the cross? And then trusted Christ to pay for all of that for you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the reality is is that no one, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. 
There is only one way. The world around us would suggest that there are thousands of ways. That's lies from Satan, the pit of hell. There is only one way. There is only one Redeemer, and His name is Jesus. And He is our only hope. And I plead with you today, if you have not yet, if you have not yet repented of your sins and trusted Him, today can be the day that you are set free, brought into the family of God, given a certain future, redeemed. Let's pray. Lord, even now, Stir in hearts. Accomplish your glorious, sovereign salvation. Stir in people to choose life. Stir in them to see the the face of Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. Oh, we thank you for the story of Ruth and Boaz. And we thank you for the the way that we see ourselves in this story. We are Ruth. We, we, We have no right. We come only by your grace And we plead for salvation. We plead to be redeemed. And you just lavishly respond in grace to redeem us, to buy us out, to give us a a home, to give us a, a, a land, a future, a name, a joy. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. And we praise you. I pray that everybody here today would know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you would accomplish life, set the captives free, bring your gracious and sovereign redemption, we pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen.